the digital transition. Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number 27. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm chatting with Lars Christian Freudenland from CoBuilder about the importance of the arrival of two new BIM standards that deliver common machine-readable language to connect software and actors together. But before I talk to Lars, I need to talk to you about our exclusive sponsor, NBS. So NBS are the creators of UniClass 2015. Now, across Australia, we're seeing state governments as a whole recommend the use of UniClass 2015 classifications, alongside other agencies like Transport for Use South Wales mandating their use. Uh, Now, for those of you on the delivery side of the building and infrastructure projects, I think now's the time to begin your journey and learn more about UniClass 2015 so that you can align and and deliver projects with this classification attached to the elements within your models. Now, to learn more about NBS, head to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Lars. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Now, firstly, Lars, for those that are not aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my journey started in this industry as a carpenter. And, uh, and then I went into manufacturing after my education. Uh, I educated as an engineer within construction. And uh, back in 1997, I started CoBuilder with two friends. Uh, and this kind of pre-BIM era, uh, I had the pleasure of working with, uh, and after this, I've had the pleasure of working with uh, governments and clients, associations. I mean, like architects, contractors, merchants. I've And I've worked with a lot of places in the industry um, and also associations and uh, bodies like Building Smart International and GS1 and, and, and in Europe we have association on the contractor side uh, called FIEC and, and uh, on the manufacturing side see Construction Products Europe for manufacturers so yeah so that's me I'm working on, on let's say on the European uh, level and with a lot of different actors. So it's a broad, a broad experience, and it's good to be talking to someone that's coming from on the tool side of things rather than a designer. So you've you've had the experience as a carpenter dealing with the documentation that's come from the design end and uh, the uh, inconsistency you'd be receiving from the design profession. Yeah, so I've kind of experienced uh, the let's say the feelings from the construction side towards the architects and engineers. You know where I'm where I'm going at. So it's a, it's, it's a useful experience, let's say. And uh, I, I, I see that uh, uh, there's nothing new there, but uh, I've also seen all the challenges and, 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 and the needs of, of actually getting together and, and having better processes built. So that kind of leads me on to uh, a question, I guess, to you in regards to your company, CoBuilder. So obviously, as a carpenter, you saw there are issues within industry, and the challenges that there were. So then you started this company, CoBuilder, in 1997. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an understanding of what CoBuilder actually is and what it does? 
Yeah, just to set this into a context, uh, Kobler, we are a European-based uh, co uh, company. Uh, we're based out of Norway, uh, and we started the journey back in 1997, and we took the journey from going from paper to PDF. We put our focus on, on the data part, uh, so... Uh, that brought us to the standardization of that data part. Uh, and uh, then uh, as time went by, suddenly there, uh, something called BIM arrived. So I heard about it. <laughs> and I said, wow, what's this? So I would say that our company focuses mostly on the, on the I in the BIM. So that means information and then everything related to that. How does your product essentially work to assist industry in delivery of assets? Yeah, so basically what we have developed is a, it's a platform. Uh, in the core of the platform, we have developed an implementation of two standards that have just recently arrived. It's uh, ISO 23386 and ISO 23387. So, so that's kind of the core of platform, meaning uh, we have a dictionary, uh, we have, um, which is strictly governed. Uh, so there's a dictionary there, uh, which is, uh, of course, also using building smart data dictionary. And then we have, uh, on the other end, we have data templates where we read uh, like uh, Australian standards or European standards or US standards to develop templates uh, that each party in the construction industry can use. And we have APIs that can connect different software vendors together and the, the, the different tools that we have, have developed uh, as Cobler, but also we're delivering templates to associations and governments and, and manufacturers and contractors that are using them in, in the BIM journey, implementing ISO 19650 or whatever. Now, before I talk to you in detail about those two new standards, I want to talk about, I guess, why I wanted to talk to you in the first place. And it probably stems back from a an interesting post or a provocative post that I put on LinkedIn probably a couple of years ago in, in regards to people you know, picking and choosing information that they put on and creating their own standards by, you know, doing things and adding all this content, which I thought, you know, it, it worked. It, it, it got the, the vibe back or the, the, the feedback from industry that I really wanted. The key thing, and I guess for, for asset owners out there, they're looking to procure uh, their built assets and, and understanding of how this, ha how this has to work and, and almost like setting up a pre, almost setting up the reason why these standards were put in place. And the key thing, I guess, to talk through is the number of manufacturers and products, first of all, that actually go into creating a built asset. Now, that's the starting point. So that's what we have to firstly identify and essentially come up with a way in which we can, in each localization uh, or each country, come up with a way in which that data can be captured and stored. Now, if we start with the building smart side of things, we have the IFC schema and it, the IFC schema has property sets, which essentially are placeholders for which information can be held. Now, the problem is with these property sets is that they don't actually cover all of the information that asset owners actually require to maintain their asset. And, you know, the reason why it doesn't is because it, it's a developing standard and then we'll touch briefly on these two new standards in a moment. But 
we have so many manufacturers out there and it's it's prevalent here in Australia and it's probably prevalent in the in Europe as well. Manufacturers are creating their own properties and they're not consistent with others. What advice do you have for manufacturers apart from looking at this new standard? But what are the problems with manufacturers actually going out and doing their own thing rather than actually looking and following a, and following a standard of sorts? So now you kind of um, you're looking into the as you know in the in the movie Matrix you have the I think it was a blue and red pill. Yep. I think. So <laughs> looking, you're looking at taking I think it was the red one. So so this is quite complex. Uh, your question. So uh, to start off, if we focus on the manufacturers, they they're not doing them. They're man- manufacturers. Yes. So. At the, at the end of the day, before we kind of start the, the journey of standardization, each manufacturer should look at their data and um, from from let's say a holistic view, and make sure to structure the data from the SKU level so that they actually define what kind of type of product they have, and then to add on all the need, needed properties or whatever test methods that is relevant uh, for them. So. The difficult part is that we have standards for, let's say, for manufacturers across the world, which are, as I mentioned, in the in 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 Australia, you have Australian standards, and you have things like bushfire, which is specific for Australia, and and the language, let's say, uh, the manufacturers are are speaking when they're testing their products or or their systems in Australia is different than Europe and than US, so. That brings me to the IFC schema where you have kind of universal properties. So there is a new standard coming out, which is actually saying that you should use the IFC schema for exchange. So that's good. So you can you can do that. You shouldn't be adding on and adding on and adding on to the IFC schema. You need something outside. And that means that the manufacturers can then connect to, let's say, to the model uh, where IFC plays an important role. On the let's say the extension, that is where I think that the manufacturers need to structure their databases in databases like product information management systems or ERP systems. So my advice to the manufacturer would be to look at these standards that we will talk about first before they do anything, uh, because they're kind of built. Uh, those ISO standards are built for for connecting the design and, and manufacturing side. The reason why these two new standards were put in place was primarily because, you know, you can't continue adding on to a single schema. For the people that are out there listening, Lars and a team of incredible people over in Europe have been working on these standards for probably, I don't know, two, three years or even longer. Yeah, it's right, two, three years. Yeah. It's, it's gone quite fast, I would say. So they've been working on these standards for two to three years. So the first standard is ISO 23386. And this standard is building information modeling and other digital processes used in construction. The methodology to describe author and maintain properties in interconnected data dictionaries. Nothing like a standard that has a, a lengthy uh, paragraph as a, uh, as a name. And then we also have uh, ISO 23387. So these are progressive numbers, one after the other, nothing like standards that are one after the other. Building information modeling, data templates for construction objects used in the life cycle of built assets, concepts and principles. So these are two very, very important ISO standards that 
essentially should be adopted across all of the world and, and maybe localizations may be added with appendixes, et cetera. Lars, can you explain, I guess, how these standards will assist the whole of industry in the creation of line information? Because primarily the reason why BIM is is it here, and this is a, this discussion is probably purely one of better information management and information being able to be aligned from manufacture through to asset maintenance and use and life cycle stuff. So these two standards are the, I guess, the platform on which this begins. So can you explain a little bit about what these standards actually are and what they're for? Those uh, standards are, first of all, they're kind of uh, sisters or twins, I would say. Uh, so they work together. Let's start with the first one, 23386, which is talking about, let's say, properties, development of properties. So there is a schema there that where you, when you want to develop a property, you have to describe it by using attributes. I mean, the text to describe it. What's the name of the property? Who's the author? When was it made? Is this the first version? Is this the second version? So worsening. So there's a lot of work that has gone into this. This journey started out in France. So it was the French industry players, contractors, architects, manufacturers coming together and actually looking at the need of a process with, with governance on how to, to actually develop a property, to describe it so it can go into to court so that it's undisputable what this property is. And that property could, could, uh, could talk about cost or facility management or technical characteristics, carbon footprint. I mean, depends what, what you, you want, want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So that, that kind of links also to things like the loin standards. Uh, I know that you have uh, been talking on this uh, podcast. And, and uh, so the first standard actually is there to, to guide, uh, uh, let's say, any organization like I mentioned, government and association uh, contractor, to make sure that they have a, d- a data governance in place. And, and I see that the construction industry, we are, as an industry, we have never looked at this data governance side because everyone is looking at their Excels, whatever, and just doing their own stuff, making their own data silos. Yes. So by describing and, and storing this on the cloud solution, then attaching that, these standard actually is talking about interconnected dictionaries. So that means that you can have different kind of identifiers, so GUIDs in different dictionaries. So one dictionary we are seeing is the building smart data dictionary, but there might be others coming down the road, but that's not an issue because you've described it. So it's not an issue to have to store different GUIDs. So, so that's the first standard and, and, and it's talking about IFD. So IFD is the implementation of that is building smart data dictionary. So you have IFC and IFD. And I think a lot of people have not looked at the IFD standard but a lot of people have uh, looked at RFC. IFD is under revision now, but um, anyhow. So, so that's the first standard talking about properties. And then we have the second standard. So, so just I want the listeners to to think that any organization, you or any organization, needs to govern a data dictionary. So that means that you you, you have 
we have terms or definitions or document definitions in this dictionary, and then you can trans use that as a translator. So you, so you will get the language, different languages, and you get one specific GUID that identifies each property. Now, on the other end, we have the data template. So that was kind of knowledge that Kobler got from joining projects with, with FIEC, the Contractors Association in Europe, where we studied all the legislations that a contractor were surrounded by. So that meant that we had to look at things like um, building regulations, uh, all the different directives we had in Europe, and that every, I mean, where we are in the world, you have the same things. So in Europe, we have something called construction product regulations. We have low wall directive. We have a machine directive, uh, directive, and all of those are pointing at standards. So that means that to be able to produce any, or if you're an architect to describe any kind of asset like a window, there is a defined standard that is actually um, describing uh, the width, the height, the, the fire, uh, the sound, the water resistance, the wind resistance, whatever characteristics we're talking about, it's described in standards. So when we look at the dictionary side, you describe each characteristics or property of any asset, and then you build that like a data model, like a, a UML or data model. And this is where you can actually then build templates and, and, and it can scale to whatever you'd like. So it could, could be on product level, but it could also be like a system, like a wall, or it could be a space, a building, whatever information you need to have. So the, the data templates is there to be used by uh, all the actors in the value chain. So that's the strong part. So that means that if you look at other industries like we have uh, like um, hotels.com or Amazon, you would see that there's templates that you need to look at. And then when you look at those templates, you can go to market. So that's more on the techno technological side. But if you're not aware of the existing standards, like say in, 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 in Australia, then you're not able to record all the rules that connects all these parties together, which is existing documents um, provided by um, those standard organizations. So the data template again then can hold different use cases, like I mentioned, what is the cost of an asset? What is the facility management data of an asset? The technical characteristics or, or, or what I mentioned, IFC, no, sorry, the carbon footprint. So now, see, all of those use cases is very important because we need to drive uh, th those different topics uh, and we need to, to build bridges between parties. And that's where I see that the BIM thing uh, needs to connect with something else. And that something else is a common agreed data template that could be used by each and every stakeholder. There were two unique words and the thing that I'm trying to do a lot in the podcast is to try and use plain English where I can uh, to try and break away some terminology and 
And there's two key words that I think you use, and you'd actually used this one earlier in our conversation, which I didn't pick you up on and I just let it fly. But the first one uh, is actors. So an actor. What is an actor? Uh, it is anyone which is involved in um, project, I would say. So if you look at the ISO 19650, it would be any appointed party or appointing party. So many different ways of talking about it, but I mean, anyone involved in the process. The key thing being that it's about anyone that's playing a role in that project from its inception through to its destruction or, you know, disassembly at the end. Uh, so, and it's not about playing a role like in a play, but <laughs> playing a role uh, in the delivery or, and, of, and maintenance and operation of that asset. The second one, which is one that uh, most technical people within the industry would be well aware of already, is a GUID. <laughs> now, it's a globally unique ID. Why, what and why? What's, what's a globally unique ID and why, was, why is that important? Again, if you look at a computer or a database, wherever you are digitally, you have um, a machine language so that a machine can understand what is this color. So if you want to talk about color between two machines, how can you actually make that possible? That's where you need a unique machine code for a machine to say that this is specifically this. So when you record, if you want to develop, let's say, I mentioned properties, the whole purpose actually at the end of the day is for the machines to talk to the machines. That's where you need GUIDs. And this is not today if you look at uh, information exchange done uh, between, I mean, an Architoc, Archicad or, or an MHX software, uh, Trimble or whatever. Uh, this is not involved. So we're stuck to the manual way of working forever. Unless someone comes in and actually develops a, a, a language that can be spoken outside of each container software. So within each software, there's a lot of goods going around. But from a holistic point of view, you need an outside, uh, let's say, machine code that another, another environment uh, can, can talk. And that means exchange of those goods is very important so that you can, let's say, buy or order automatically uh, from, let's say, the model um, so, 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 or, or, or different databases. Now that leads on quite nicely, I guess, to my next question in regards to, you know, we have these new objects or we have objects that have been modelled in various authoring software and from that they get developed from a very early stage and they're applied, they're they're constructed, I guess, in line with the two standards that are set up. How will the application of these standards change the way in which we work in the design and construct and operate space of our built environment? Do do you think it's going to make a huge change? I think uh, the biggest change, and this might seem a little bit provocative, I think, but um, the biggest change is that all relevant information other than information that you absolutely need within the software is going to be held outside the software. 
So of course, you, there's a lot of things that you need in, in the design tools that are necessary where you want, where you need, and you want that data to be stored. But uh, the way that I see it, the biggest change is that all of, all of the extensions that people are building with Excel schemas, that's going to be connected uh, to external databases or, or calculators or platforms. Uh, we haven't talked about platforms. I, I, I truly believe that platforms is, is important to understand because they will be able to connect uh, the different sectors together. So the biggest change I think is going to be that these uh, co uh, these construction objects that I'm talking about, they're held outside. So that means that you can write from, let's say, Archicad, your software, <laughs> maybe, um, to an external database. And you can write both ways, of course. But the data template is stored outside and you write to it from the software, so you connect your software to, an, to, to let's say, to the data template. Uh, you don't take the data template into your software and start working on, on it there, because then you're, again, uh, we, we could start talking about classifications here, but so let's not, maybe. There's too many uh, so of those. Then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but... Um, so, so I think that's the biggest change uh, that, that, that that you see. So then it's more like collision controls, uh, cl sorry, clash detections and issue handling and things like that, where, 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 where I think that we've achieved great, I mean, really great things in, for the industry. From my perspective, and this is the key thing I think that I talk a lot to people about and it's going to become more prevalent moving into the future is, the cost of maintaining a model in a native authoring software uh, is going to be very cost prohibitive or it's actually going to add additional cost into the maintenance of a project. We take a different approach and we take this approach that these two new standards set up for asset owners. Now, first of all, every piece of information or data that's attached to an element live in an authoring software starts to weigh that file down so it becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And the problem with that is, is that they're all uniquely applied information. So it's multiplied across the thousands of elements that are modeled. Whereas in a database method, uh, we stick with a GUID, a globally unique ID attached to an element, and then that connects to a database ex externally and which information can be added and archived or changed at very little cost instead of actually always updating the model because most of the time when assets are changed, they're just possibly, need, in, you know, through the operation phase, it's just the, you know, inspection dates. You know, I've been, this, this product's been inspected today. This lamp's been replaced today. When is it going to be replaced again? You don't need to go into a model to do that. Most people, when they're maintaining an asset, just need to interact with the database. We started Kobler uh, UK yep. four or five years ago. And we started with uh, with uh, working with the uh, with the past standards. So when we went to the projects, we looked at what how was the structured how how were they going to structure their their assets. So uh, this was kind of in, in the beginning of of uh, Uni class twenty fifteen, and people were starting looking at Revit classifications and other different classifications. So but everyone 
actually have, in their minds, they had the view that they will store the data within the model. And what we experienced is that that's, that just explodes. It's not possible. It's too costly. And as far as I know, no one has ever been able to do it. So this is, again, one of the things where we saw that by having construction object, objects or assets stored in the database, you can do a lot of things like versioning, updates, changes, added, additions. Uh, you, can, you can filter data like whatever data you need from the asset, you can filter it from different kind of users, the janitors, the homeowners, whoever you can, there's so much flexibility. So I think that the development of the standards going back to that, that will enable uh, any software developer to use the same schema and language across. So that brings us kind of to the, to the level of where I think a lot of clients, they have been looking at at, line, at the digital side as kind of the modeling thing. But where I see that the, the huge benefits that the, these standards bring is actually that you can develop your own database uh, and, and that can be uh, connected to any kind of model. But you kind of you link it and then you do a lot of stuff outside of the model and you keep the core needs, let's say, to the modeling uh, software where, you, where this information part uh, in, in, in the journey is kind of kept in, in it's, it's very often, as I said, it's, it's linked, uh, but it's separate. The, the key lesson for, for industry out of this, and this is in the design side and also on the asset maintenance side, is that there are huge benefits to be had in not bogging down models in excessive data and that there are other options out there to enable a more efficient and effective route for actually delivering these projects. But the second side of that also, um, in my view, and it'd be interesting to get your side of thoughts on this as well, and there'd be lots of opportunities out there for uh, more software developers to actually develop asset management and facility management tools because at the moment the the market's kind of very limited in terms of what's available out there. What's your thoughts on that as in terms of what could be, whether this is actually opening the door to more efficient or even the challenges are is that the costs of these systems are huge and it'd be interesting to see whether or not there'd be opportunities for even, you know, smaller asset owners to actually start to jump onto this journey and it becoming an efficient way for them to actually manage their assets as well. So to answer your question, I think it's important to, to, to understand that we're talking about APIs here. So APIs is very important. It's a very important term. So the, the whole purpose of this standard is actually to, de to, to develop from the platform side of things, you're developing application stores. So that means that anyone can go in and develop their own applications. So that means that if you're a small software company, you could use an, an a, let's say, a platform that connects all of uh, kind of your development together. So let's say if you want to develop a cost calculation system or facility management system, you need somewhere to store what is an asset. Yep. So that's the whole purpose of the standards. So it allows software companies to come together or, or existing companies like Autodesk and Emicek. The issue is being that the larger ones, they have so much focus on their existing business model. So they don't even see kind of the, yeah, 
opportunity. But I think that the medium-sized and 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 the, and the companies we're talking to, like a manufacturer that wants to develop a PIM system or um, a contractor that wants to develop a cost calculation systems, I think those guys that we're talking to, they truly believe, truly see that the the the, the cost of developing is 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 reasonable much cheaper than actually to go to a specific software and try to adjust that software to your need. And I think that point of actually developing a software that actually solves your problem instead of picking out something from the market and trying to make it fit into a hole that it actually does not fit into. And this is where we have a massive cost as as, as companies buying software that actually doesn't is not fit for purpose. So we've done a lot of things like automation, automation of purchasing. So in the Nordics, we've done some, some use cases on that with, with large contractors. So how can I go from design to deliver information to the manufacturer automatically from, from, from early design going to, 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 to ordering and, and purchasing? And how can I link that to make sure that I, I collect the environmental impacts of, of, of my assets. And all of these things is again related to um, the development that the software developers are doing. And that's where I think that the data templates and that's why I kind of, this is the core of our platform is that we're allowing the software vendors or, or actors to, 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 to have the common definition of the assets, but then developing a software that actually solves the issues. Yeah, it's it's like a to me it makes sense. You look at the scenario and think, well, most people just jump straight onto, you know, a major platform. And you know, I'm not going to pick names, but like you know, you look at IBM Maximo, and that tends to be the 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 solution. But that only solves the solution for potential asset maintenance. Now, as you said, this these two standards now open the opportunities for all different purposes and an API connection because everything's going to start talking a similar language. And I think that to me is what is critical moving forward into the future in terms of ability for that to happen. Now, because of your involvement with Building Smart as well, and I wanted to kind of talk about uh, another identification system as well, because I think it's important to kind of tie, because we're so fixated today on talking about the structuring of information and and how information needs to be kind of set up a particular way so it's actually kind of easy for people to understand. I thought it'd be good to also talk about um, GS1. And last year there was Building Smart International and GS1 actually made a memorandum of understanding and they started doing work developing the digital supply chains in the built environment. And I'm not going to talk about acronyms because it's kind of entertaining. but do you want to talk a little bit about GS1 as well? Because that's obviously another area where it comes to information and, and the methodology of having an international kind of unique system. Um, what would the benefits of GS1 and Building Smart working together, what will that also what will that bring to industry? So first of all, I've had the pleasure of working with GS1 and Building Smart yep. in this work group. And we're de- developing, let's say, processes that automates stuff, but where you have to understand the needs of standards. So GS1 is, a, is an organization 
that has standards like the, the most known standard they have is called GTIN. So that's the barcode you see on products. Actually being used more than Google every day. People don't know that. Uh, so to go back to your question, I would say you mentioned Maximo, and I would just like to say that the connection between, let's say, if you take uh, Revit or Archicad, and you say ERP systems, there's a very large one called SAP. And then you have Maximo. So how can we automate the process of going from a Revit model and actually sending the right data to the manufacturer? And how is the manufacturer going to distribute that product to the construction site and that data be, to be filled into Maximo? So the way that I see it is that this could be done automatically, but then we're lacking one standard is kind of the identification of a, of a product and we need an identification on where this is going to be shipped. These things. And, and GS1 has, for the past uh, I mean, 20, uh, 30 years, been working on these questions. So when I saw the memorandum of understanding between Building Smart and GS1, I saw that, hey, this someone needs to act here. And, I, and that's where I saw that the standards that we're talking about could be a kind of a connector so that you can can go from early design to manufacturing uh, in, let's say, uh, by standardizing the construction objects, like whatever walls you're building, you use the data template standard to describe what the wall types. Then when you describe that wall type, you do it in the cloud. And then whatever wall you're writing, or sorry, uh, um, yeah, writing in your in your Revit model or architect model, you can actually just point at that wall, and, and that wall would consist of different kind of products like insulation, you know, like a plasterboard, whatever. And that's where the GS1 standards comes into play because they're kind of the connector for the digital twin. So how if you have an existing um, building or asset? If you have an identifier for that product, it gives you the power of actually searching in databases. And, and GS1 is an organization where you can check if this is, let's say, a fake product or if it's a real product. There's things that we as an industry haven't even, even looked at that other industries has been working for for many years. So I think that the work from GS1 and Building Smart here is very important to, to, to kind of connect the different um, standards together and, and deliver really true uh, effective processes. Yeah, so most people just see a barcode as a, an identifier, uh, but the information that a, a, a person that's putting a product out to market, and this is every single product, you know, food we buy at the supermarket, all of that has specific information and data that they provide to that system to then obtain that barcode through GS1. Is that correct? Yes, it is. So actually you can develop a barcode from wherever, but yeah. it comes back to the old old Excel uh, discussion. So should you just develop your own Excel or should you use a standard? So as other industries have seen like um, the food and grocery industry, they have understood that they need a database with common GTINs or, or let's say barcodes so so that we would know really who's the owner of this so you can search in the database. So I think the, the use of those standards is actually enabling and saving a lot of money 
and it's bringing in things like um, logistics that is very important. Also, it's not only talking about BIM and modeling and these things. It's all these things are connected. So if we want to be more greener and build more faster, we need to, as an industry, to have a more holistic view and then to implement common ways of doing stuff. And that's where I think that BIM alone is not capable and it has been proven of doing this. I guess the other thing is, is another thing that we see from the whole side of the things when it comes to the food industry sitting under that that kind of banner, it works well with uh, food recall. And uh, it'd be interesting to see then, you know, the the challenges where we have with uh, aluminium composite panel systems and and product recalls or, or challenges by being under a standard uh, database system that's consistent at a, at a standardised level across a country or even across the globe. It, it provides opportunity then for any issues that are found on in a product, uh, you know, a database um, ping could be sent out from the manufacturer saying, you know, we've got a problem. It's almost like the same with the Takata airbags with the Toyotas across the world. You get letters because you're the registered owner of that car. So you could be registered as a owner of uh, a particular product installed in your asset and get sent, you know, correspondence saying that, you know what, we've got a fault with this product. It's just about connecting everyone. So Nathan, I think they're really spot on here. So this is the reality. So to get to that reality, we need to look at data, data governance, and data that you can trust. And I think that's kind of where where I've seen, and this is why we have gone this journey to develop these standards so that we can develop, I mean, at the end of the day, it sounds nerdy, but data you can trust. Yeah. And and by, by having data that you can trust in whatever language you, you want to have, then I think the opportunity of doing think the same things as the, as the car industry is like going into, into that level of saying that you have that kind of DNA knowledge on your assets. And then you don't have to travel out with a car to look at the asset and what's wrong. And, and, but, and, and this can connect to Internet of Things, sensors. There's a lot of things that you can look at from from the technology perspective and, and you can actually introduce technology like blockchain and a lot of exciting stuff like AI. So I think you're spot on uh, there and I think it's a, it's, it's quite exciting future and it's uh, the way that I see it and that I actually, where I see it, it's, it's, it's not very far away, but it's not going to be solved by the, by the BIM, I mean, BIM standalone way of thinking. It's one of those things where I look at and I think a lot about the challenges we face in industry. And the first thing is, is that these standards that are put in place now and the and the work that's kind of being connected between Building Smart and GS1 are almost like the, the first steps. They're like the baby steps to creating trustworthy information, information that then becomes the, well, actually, no, let's take it a step back even. Let's just say it's not information. Let's just say it's structured data <laughs> and from this structured data, we're going to move forward uh, towards uh, a new birth, a new birth of Industry 4.0 and circular economy, you know, and digital twins and Internet of Things and all these exciting things. But from the standpoint of this structured data, because it's only going to become information once it becomes used for other purposes. How do you, you know, you, you said just then that you can see it happening in the short term. What's your views on 
on Industry 4.0 and how far away we are from these scenarios based upon the steps that we've taken by implementing standards like the ones that have just been implemented? I mentioned the word platforms. Yep. So I think platforms is a very important topic here. So that means that I, I, I had the, uh, I also mentioned the wall use case. It could be any asset, but I think the way that we're describing our assets is very important. So that you have, if if you look at where we're doing some projects with uh, with the contractors that are actually understanding that by sitting together with the different parties, they can develop a template that fits all the different use cases. So that means that they have now one way of defining whatever asset, like a window or whatever. So that means that we can introduce um, connections to, let's say, IFC or Revit or whatever. So, but you you can say that for for schools, what kind of windows normally would we build? And then machines can learn what is the typical windows that we should use because when you have structured data as we were talking about, then suddenly you can have machines talking and learning what kind of designs that are the, let's say, the optimal. So this comes in addition to where we are today with all the technology we use. So the way that I see is that the storage and the knowledge of whatever asset you have globally can be read and understood. Today, this is silo data, not available. You can't read it. You can't access it. You don't know who built it. You don't know where the installation date or a guarantee time is. You, you, you don't have this knowledge. So I think massive change will happen, but I think it's going to have, have, be happening via those platforms that I was talking about, like any other industry. So I think, and we haven't seen these platforms yes, yet, but there will be, I mean, two, three of them that will be massive and they will connect and that's where I think that the work that Coblia has done is we, are, we play an important part because those platforms needs to talk, talk a language. And that's where I've kind of looked at this from many years behind and started reading all of those standards and all of these things, developing all those properties and templates. So for us, it's quite exciting, I would say. No, it is. And the key thing that I guess we could talk about this whole process for hours on end <laughs> and information and data and all that sort of stuff that could go on. But thank you very much, Lars, for taking the time to talk to me. And I know it's uh, early morning, not that early over there, but it's in the early morning afternoon here in Australia. But I have one question for you. And this one question I ask all of my guests, and I'm actually really looking forward to your answer today. What does BIM mean to you? If I replied two, three years ago, I would have replied I think much of the same as maybe other people on your show. But uh, for me, it, it, it means a place that we used to be stuck with. I mean, but uh, for me, it does not connect me to the reality where I see the world going. So I think it's old. So um, I think we need to go beyond and uh, start uh, talking about other stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, that was the most cryptic response I've heard from any of my guests. But thanks again, Lars, for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Now, for more information on Lars and CoBuilder and also the standards, we'll put links to the standards on my website for further reading. 
So I look forward to sharing our podcast, um, our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Uh, until then, good luck with the digital transition. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. Digital transition.